Hi everyone, this is going to just be a very quick intro at the top of this bonus episode with my brilliant friend Kathy Swan. She's just launched a platform called Queer Creatives, which we talk about in the podcast, but this is a sort of different style of the show where we can dig a bit into the nitty gritty of storytelling. And Kathy is brilliant. She, as a part of Queer Creatives, was posting some images about, you know, different aspects of storytelling. So I asked if she wanted to come on and talk about character development. She uses Doctor Who as an example of of we talked through the basics of character development and then I spoke through the story spine which for people who aren't familiar with it is just one way of constructing a narrative for a story and I use the Lion King so if you want to hear me speed through <laughs> the plot of the Lion King in about two minutes um, it's just to have some fun to learn to rethink about some of the basics of storytelling that you know but maybe don't know the words for and then at about the 20 two minute mark Kathy tells us more about um queer creatives and representation in stories and it's so good and I just love listening back to it now while I was editing the show um Kathy speaks so passionately and so clearly about the need for just more diverse stories for everyone and it was just so nice to hear her talk about it and have her on the show so a huge thank you to Kathy I'm sorry this episode is late but we're back on our normal track this week let me know if you enjoy this episode and I will look into doing some more bonus episodes like it all right enjoy everyone So I'm going to just start us out. So um, I've got Kathy Swan with me here, friend of the pod, uh, was here from the birth of the pod. And yeah, we're just going to talk today about, I, I wanted to see ways that we could dig into the more practical side of storytelling. And Kathy, you're going to tell us a bit more about your initiative that you've just, what, what do you call it? An initiative, a platform? Initiative, what are you calling it? project. I'm calling it lots of things at the minute. Oh, it's a website mostly. Um, yeah, I don't really know yet. Okay. <laughs> it's still growing. Um, so we'll dig. We'll dig into queer creatives um, um, after our little our, our chat. But as a part of the the, the launch, um, you were posting some um, really beautiful graphics about like the different aspects of storytelling, mm. and it really got me thinking about the the basics. And so I I thought you know people who, who who tell stories or who are in that world, they think about the intricacies of storytelling. They know all about like building tension and all the character asks and 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 resolution and all, all these things but actually the basic basic basics are still really interesting and actually I think most people don't aren't super aware of them in in this format as in like how we're going to lay it out for you um because you you just everyone instinctively knows how to tell a story everyone instinctively knows when they're enjoying a story oh. And actually, what I was thinking was with we're just consuming, I don't know about you, but like consuming so much media over this last yeah. year, it's just been insane. Yeah. Right? Um, and I thought just maybe going over like, so what we're going to go over today is like the story spine and then like character development. And it's just a fun way to get like a little bit more out of what you're watching because I don't know about you, but I've just binged so much stuff and I, then I just forget instantly yeah. and actually stopping to think about how the writer or the storyteller has like built it mm. out um just it just gives me a little bit of extra something so not just brain mush. yeah it's so hard to get in the inspirational kind of mindset right now because you're not apart from binging everything you're not going out anywhere you're not experiencing any new things and obviously we're living through mm-hmm. this mass period of trauma and I feel like everyone's kind of gone into this survival mode 
so it's really hard to you know get that creative spark going in your head yeah it definitely helps to kind of go back to basics and really think about what you're trying to get out of something when you're reading it or when you're watching it yeah yeah and I think also because you know like living in the golden age of tv because I also sort of went over the story spine stuff and I was like story spine works really well with like a singular story like a movie Uh. right um but then I tried to do it for Harry Potter and I was like well this is stupid because it's huge it's just such a big story there's no you know you can't fit it into these like nine neat things but then that also is so fascinating to watch these like brilliant tv shows and how they hold your attention Uh. for so long like they're really playing with that structure and and yeah I don't know it just get, it always just gives me a bit of res- more respect than just the letting it wash over you mm. thing of <laughs> being like wow I've just watched like nine hours of Bridgerton back <laughs> yeah back. to be like oh wow this person's actually built up enough for me to keep wanting to watch keep getting engaged keep being emotionally attached to these different characters yeah I mean when you watch something yeah like you say you kind of tune out and you don't kind of realize why it is that you enjoy it and why it is that it's so good but it's about kind of tuning into that the fact that these have started with probably this very simple idea and they've started with that idea of a story spine or you know a basic three-act structure and they've because they've had that starting point they've been you know able to build out these stories into these huge complex seasons or multiple seasons and you have all these kind of nuances that can be introduced because you've got that basic structure so like you were saying before it's really good to kind of get in tune with those basics in your head and look out for them when you're watching something because they're always in there even if you're watching something at first and it just seems madly amazing and you think I could never write something like this I could never replicate this there's always those simple ideas in there somewhere because that's what the best storytelling does it's it's quite like simple usually when you get to the heart of it yeah yeah and so I mean like on that I'll jump into so I thought to go to just for people who don't know the story spine um, it's it's just a concept by a man called um, Ken Adams, and I think he originally made it for plays. Mm. But the idea the idea is I'm gonna I'm gonna just break down the idea and then talk through it with the Lion King because I just thought that it's like relatively mm. enough of a story that people would know, um, just so that we can sort of explain the basic breakdown of what a story spine looks mm. like. So this story spine asks you I think it's nine questions. But um, like you mentioned, the three, you know, the three act story arc, which is like you have you lay out the story, you lay out the thing, then something happens, the event, mm. um, which puts your main character into a, a difficult situation. Then you have like the middle, which is like tension building, um, leads up to a climax, and then you have a resolve at the end, right? Everyone has nice feelings, everyone feels like they learned something. It's very satisfying. Mm. So the story spine works on a series of questions, which I'll just read them out. So the story spine goes once upon a time then every day and then but one day that's your event then you move into your middle and then the three questions are literally because of that something happens because of that something happens because of that something happens and then you hit your climax which is the prompters until finally and then they, you have the end which is and ever since then blah 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 and then sometimes yeah. you can follow up with and the moral of the story is right <laughs> so yeah for the lion king so setting the scene, so everyone just think Lion King, you know, that first wonderful <laughs> the music <laughs> at the beginning. Um, you have like the circle of life playing, you know, you get introduced to this world where all the animals are. And it, it, well, I had fun thinking over this because literally the songs tell you what's going on in the Lion King, right? It's mm-hmm. like the circle of life. Everything is good. Everything is in balance. The lions are at the top of this balance and everything is wonderful. And Mufasa is their, you know, benevolent, lovely king. 
and you meet Simba, who's now your main character who you're going to travel with throughout the story, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, the first part of the story's time. Once upon a time, there's a, a prince named Simba. He loves his dad. He lives in this world where everything's perfectly in balance. And then the second part of the story sign is every day. So this is like building out your universe. So every day, Simba wakes up. He goes and plays with his friend Nala. He hangs out with his uh, his uh, British what like babysitters <laughs> Zazu, and he literally sings a song. So this is when you we, we're gonna you're gonna take us through character development. Mm. We, he sings a song. I just can't wait to be king. Very clear. <laughs> All Simba wants to do is become king. Mm. But then we have our event, which is obviously everything that traumatized any child that was uh, born in the <laughs> early 90s, which was watching Mufasa die. Okay. Um, also, you get like the greatest villain song, I think, of all time, uh, which is Be Prepared <laughs> by Scar. <laughs> I'm like convinced that is the perfect villain song. Yeah. Um, so we have our event, right? So his, his um, Scar blames him for the death of his father and banishes him. And his dream of becoming king is taken away from him. Mm. right then so then we hit into our middle of the story which is our because of that because of that because of that which is you are taking your character along a story which challenges their wants and needs which we'll also get into Mm. for for character um so you have Simba he meets Timon and Pumbaa and they say no worries literally Hakuna Matata Life happens, you can't control it. And he's moving away from this idea of destiny, which which is at the beginning of the story, right? So because of his banishment, he moves away from destiny. He decides he's he's never going to go home. He's fine with Simone and Pumbaa. But now the order's been disturbed, right? He's left his... Um, the, the circle of life has been broken because Scar's taken over and his family's in trouble. And old Nala, there's also the love story, obviously, comes back to get him. And we have this conflict of saying, of like destiny of who you're supposed to be and what the person wants. So the wants and the needs are crashing up against each other. Eventually, Simba, you know, and Simba, what's the line? He's like, I can't go back there. She's like, your people need you. And he's like, ah, I left that life behind. Because he's, you know, he's got the shame or the pain of, of what he believes is he's responsible for his father's death. Then he comes back because Rafiki is like remember who you are which again leads you back to the the story which is he just can't wait to be king it's destiny he's supposed to take part in the circle of life so back he goes he takes down scar big wonderful dramatic that's your climax so you have to resolve these two issues right he doesn't want to go back he needs to go back the world needs him to go back he doesn't want to go back because he doesn't want people to find out that he's responsible for the death of his father and but he faces his fear he comes back big climax and then the last part of the story, Spine, is, and ever since then, then the world goes back into order, right? Like there's a drought or something, I think, near the end. <laughs> and, you know, it's like bad because the hyenas are supposed to be at the bottom because they're scavengers, but they're in charge. So everything's out of, you know, out of order. He comes back, he takes his rifle, places king, he has a little baby, and the circle of life continues, mm. right? So for... Um, did that ring it? I'm just, you were saying that, like, um, how was my recounting of the of the Lion King in, like, three minutes? Yeah, I mean, I know the Lion King, but apparently not to the extent that you do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. I haven't watched it in a while. I'm, like, I haven't watched it in a while. I'm, like, I'm surprised I can remember that it much. It stays with you, though, when um, you watch it as a kid, doesn't it? It's just one of those films yeah. that you don't forget. It is just that trauma of yeah. like, you know when he like nudges the dad and he's oh, like that no. and you're just oh no it's, too much. it's really it's traumatic. Too much. 
so yeah i just think i, I wanted to, it's like such a classic story because it is just it like lay it really follows that traditional arc so i'm gonna i'll post um those questions on instagram if anyone is listening and it really is just fun to go through like your favorite movies because you, you know why you love them you know that you find them satisfying but it's almost like sometimes like looking under the hood a little bit mm. and just being like oh wow there's a lot of thought that's gone into this like these people are pretty clever mm. and then of course you know there's just all the beauty and everything that gets woven into that backbone which is like the music and how people how the characters are designed and mm. what, what's the best thing that you've watched recently oh I mean I know that I've watched so many things but like it's really hard to remember them all because I've watched you know so many things that it all kind of blends yeah. into one but I'll tell you what I have watched lately that I absolutely loved was Shit's Creek um oh yeah and I just yeah. adored that and it took me a while to get into it because at the yeah. start it was kind of like you have these really you know this set of really entitled spoiled characters and I kind of thought what's the interest in that what's the pull of that but of course through the series have you seen it I have, yeah. I have. I- it's just like it's just beautiful in this kind of really quiet way you know through all those seasons I think are there four seasons you have these you know through all those seasons you have this this slow kind of redemption arc for all of these characters and they you know they slowly start to care more about people except themselves and they start to get involved in this kind of little um nondescript community and they start to kind of have this real sense of family that they've never had before and it's just so heartwarming and beautiful I really really love that but I yeah it took me a while to sort of get attuned to what it you know what it is that it was trying to do and what what it is that I enjoyed about it but then by the end I just was you know in floods of tears in the last episode and I didn't want yeah. to go away you know yeah. so that's something like yeah. that I love things that are really about characters and that are really character driven as opposed to you know I mean I love things you know sci-fi type things with big huge you know worlds and fantasy worlds it, that's all amazing kind of the visual aspects of it but it's all about character for me I think when you kind yeah. of get down to it I love seeing characters develop I love seeing them change and grow you know I think there's something really lovely in being able to see that amazing well that's perfect then so I think so again like if someone's listening they've never written something before they haven't everyone knows their favorite characters everyone knows these people but so um we had discussed like Doctor Who because I don't know anything about Doctor Who you love Doctor Who I know Um, I I could film my own (laughs) podcast about Doctor Who so I thought maybe I could just ask you about um because because I don't I don't know we could go through like the Mm. basics of when someone sits down and develops a character, so like the first person who sat down and wrote Doctor Who, and and just to say like we picked Doctor Who because for people who don't know Doctor Who, you uh, you'll do a better job of explaining this than I do. But like it's one character that has lasted a very long period of time, and different actors play it. But we, mm-hmm. I just thought that'd be a really great way to explore character because if different people are playing it, it's lasted so long and through different times and you know, moments in history and all this sort of stuff. And there's still this absolute adoration for this character. I was like, well, that's the character, yeah. you know? So I yeah. thought, so let's start with internal and external features, which is obviously a whole Doctor thing. But like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about the Doctor and what their like internal features are. And then you can maybe talk, speak a little bit to external features. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think 
when you're starting to create a character, the most important thing that you can do is to give them this really solid set of motivations and beliefs, right? Mm. Because you might have an idea in your head of, you know, you might want to make a character who looks a certain way and talks a certain way, and you might have a clear image of what that means. But if you don't give them this set of beliefs and things to kind of strive for and achieve, then if you put them then into a story, that story's not really going to go anywhere, right? You're not mm. going to be able to sustain that story. So you need to have something that you know your character stands for basically and I think that is at the heart of it I mean there's a lot of reasons why Doctor Who is so brilliant but um I think at the heart of it there's that very simple idea that you've created this hero who ultimately just stands for doing good and helping out anyone they can in the universe and that's a very basic idea I mean there are loads of superhero type stories where that is what they stand for but the Doctor as a character unwaveringly stands for that and is mm -hmm. always trying to strive for that good thing, is always trying to strive to save as many people as they can, to help out in any way that they can, you know? And they always stick to that motivation. And therefore, every single story that's been told, I mean, it's been going since the 60s now, you know? Mm -hmm. It's been going, like, for nearly 60 years. And you know obviously it's a massively genius thing that they've said oh let's you know have a story where we can have the lead character just happen to be able to change their entire appearance whenever the lead actor <laughs> needs to move on you know mm -hmm. I think that's really good and that's part of the reason why it you know survived so long but that could so easily not work you know you could have you could swap the actor and then you know people go who the hell is this this isn't you know this isn't the show I've been watching which you know does occasionally happen but I think the ability to be able to have this character where you can change their entire face and appearance and mannerisms, you know, only works because at the heart they have those same motivations and they don't stray from those motivations. Mm. And that's what makes it such a successful format. Because then by having that really simple idea where, you know, you have someone who stands for helping out and being kind and doing good, you know, all those kind of quite simple stuff. I mean, you know, kids love Doctor Who. It's, you know, something that everyone can watch, yeah. you know, so it, it's, it has those simple ideas that you always come back to. But then obviously because there's no such thing as, you know, 100% good, 100% bad, there are always these kind of nuances and these grey areas within that. And you can't have a character who is always good and is always you know doing the right thing mm. without it having consequences and without it affecting them in some way when you have a character like you were saying it's got a really clear motivation mm -hmm. um what's what brings the tension around what brings the interesting things is like you have a character like the doctor who wants to do the best that they can mm -hmm. you throw some obstacles in the way and what I find the most, obviously the most interesting stories come out is when what they think they want is slightly different to what they need. And that's when, and, and by going through the obstacles, by going through like the hero's journey, they um, become either, either they evolve or like their, their, their needs and their wants change to bring them back to sort of almost a truer version of themselves. So in the doctor i mean yeah could you could you also maybe just start by setting a tiny bit of like the universe that the doctor exists in just for people who don't know the show yeah i mean you know the basic idea of the doctor is that they're this 
at this point, kind of 2,000-year-old alien creature from a planet called Gallifrey. Um, And they left Gallifrey a long time ago because they wanted to do more with their life and they wanted to kind of explore the universe and save people and help people. Um, And as a character, they have this kind of particular affinity for Earth and they develop all these friendships and relationships with mostly human characters. And the show in itself, you know, at the heart of it again is about a, the Doctor's, you know, kind of motivations and the this need for the Doctor to help out, but also about those relationships, which by their nature are always finite because you have this character who is a, functionally immortal and can survive for thousands and thousands of years. And because they don't have their own species anymore, um, they have friendships with people who live for a tiny fraction of the time that they do. So there's always that sense of kind of a ticking clock and there's always, you know, departures, there's always losses. And again, that's kind of what keeps the show um, regenerating, Mm -hmm. so to speak, you know, because every few years you have a set of new companions, a set of new friends that comes in and occasionally a new doctor. And then you, you know, you get to know this set of people and then you will lose them or you'll lose some of them. And then it kind of starts all over again. And it's, it's very cyclical in that way. Hmm. Oh, I love, I mean, see, you make me want to watch it. I, 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 ever since I've met you and you told me about it and you spoke so passionately about it, but I get like overwhelmed because then I'm like, do I have to start in the sixties or no. do I start with like the most recent season? I mean, I'll tell you a secret and you know, Doctor Who fans will say I'm not a real fan for this, but I haven't watched the vast majority of the classic seasons. So the pre 2005 stuff, I just don't, I'm just not interested. Like I know what it's about. <laughs> I don't care. Like you sue me you know kick me out of the fan club that I am what I am you know but from 2005 I've grown up with it and like I feel you know I've watched it so much it's it's kind of it's become part of like my identity almost because I feel like it's shaped how I look at creating stories and how I create characters so much you know because it's such a good example Mm. of how to do that and it's done that so well with so many different characters yeah, yeah. And I mean, it is just such a part of, of um, yeah, like this long arc of, of narrative storytelling. I was reading something from Neil Gaiman the other day, and he was saying like, he grew up with it. And his big, one of his big goals in life was to write an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. And I think there's something so beautiful in that, that you can grow up watching a show and know that it could exist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, you, it almost sort of um, mimics, like what it sounds like what you've said is the, the, um, the time cyclical nature of the show is like you know you you will you can almost grow up enough to be a point like where you could write an episode yeah like, would, you, would that be like a dream for you to write an oh episode? yeah I mean since that's why I do creative work like because when I was little I, I, I watched it on tv and was like that's what I want to do I want to make that mm-hmm. I want to make people feel the way that I'm feeling right now because of that writing you know and that's I mean that's incredible you know Russell T Davies and Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall like the three showrunners that have been at the forefront of the revival of the show they all grew up watching it and they probably thought the same as so many young people who are watching it now thought you know they they watched it mm-hmm. and they thought that I want to make that when I'm older and they did you know they went on to make entire seasons of it which is mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. that's beautiful I love that okay so do you want to tell me um a bit about queer creatives like what what you started it why you started it like what you're hoping to do with it um yeah just tell me a bit about it yeah I mean 
you know, obviously it's been a massively difficult time, like for, for everybody the past year, you know, I've found it really difficult to stay motivated to do creative work. I found it really hard to, you know, get inspiration from anywhere because, you know, I'm in the the same place all the time. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not doing anything new. And, you know, I thought obviously that there must be so many other people who feel like this and, for me it's kind of you know my saving grace has been when I've talked to people and you know heard you know how they're doing and what they're doing to cope at this like really horrible time so I wanted to you know firstly make something that that brings all of that inspiration together in one place and you know can be a a resource and a hub for people who are struggling you know because I think it's hard at any time to get creative inspiration but I think you know when you're sat on your own all the time and you're not doing anything new it can feel really impossible so I wanted to to speak to people who are still keeping going and are finding ways to kind of survive and keep you know their creative mind alive um Mm. and and kind of ask them how they do it and what it is that they're they're doing, you know, simple advice, simple tips that kind of anyone can follow really. Um, And the reason that I wanted to make it, you know, focusing on queer creatives is because I think, you know, there's a really interesting element of the fact that, you know, I think queer people kind of disproportionately pursue creative hobbies and there's definitely something in there about you know needing as a queer person as kind of somebody whose voice isn't represented in the you know mainstream media as you know somebody who you know growing up you won't see your identity on screen you won't read about it in books as much as kind of a straight cis person might and there's definitely something in there about wanting to you know, having this urge to create your own work where you can put your own identity into it and you can express mm-hmm. your voice, you know, because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, and there's, I think there's a real sense of community, you know, um, that's come out of that. So I've seen, you know, through the people I've spoken to so far, there's all these kind of little mini LGBTQ groups um, of kind of queer artists, queer performers, queer musicians, whatever. Um, and, you know, it really has that sense of of bringing these, these groups together and making really beautiful things out of that. Mm, I love that. I love that. And like you said, yeah, just to the, the idea of representation, I thought maybe mm. if you could speak a little bit to that, like how powerful it, that has been. I mean, it's it's representation, I think, for whoever whoever you are, if you're not whatever is like mostly shown in the mainstream. Yeah. Like that absolute power of seeing someone who looks like you, sounds like you, is from the country that you're from, you know, feels the way you do, moves their body the way you do, dresses the way you do, like mm-hmm. there's so much there. Um, and it, I think we are moving into a time where there is more, there obviously needs to be much more, but, mm. you know, something has changed and there is more representation coming out now. Mm. But um, I thought if you could just speak to a bit, maybe some of your own experiences and like what it's meant for you and in, in your life. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like, I think we are starting to change. I mean, it's a sin. I don't know if you've seen that, but, you know, Russell T Davies' new drama and he's just a genius. Mm-hmm. That's been the most watched thing on channel forever I think and obviously that's about you know this group of um gay guys and the AIDS crisis so you know it shows that you can have these queer characters or minority characters as the protagonist and still have people watch it like it's still attainable to a mainstream Mm -hmm. audience you know and I think that's 
important to like to demonstrate and to not be kind of afraid to put those people with with these queer identities at the forefront of your work you know because I think Mm. yeah I mean personally yeah that it's massively influenced the way that I think about creating things um and what I want to make because you know as a gay woman I didn't really grow up with any you know influences on tv or in books that I can remember and there's it's not something that you kind of understand if you are just if you just grow up being represented I know there's kind of a lot of ongoing discussion and you know debate if you want to call it that about you know oh we've we've already had a gay show this year we don't need another one you know like we've yeah. got one show with like a black person on that that's enough like guys like, you yeah. know we don't need all of this like tick boxing and we don't need all of this virtue signal and whatever else people want to call it right and that just comes from a place of you know y- people who say that have obviously grown up seeing themselves in reflected back at them in the media that they consume and if you don't have that mm the absence of it is huge you know like you you Mm. you're more if you see yourself reflected in the things that you read and you watch and whatever then you you know you're more sure of who you are as a person you can come to terms with your own identity better you can feel like it's okay you can feel more comfortable in it you know I think Mm. there's so many kind of queer people especially who don't realize who they are in terms of sexual identity gender identity until quite late in life and that's because they haven't seen it anywhere you know they haven't almost known that it's an option to be that way you know Mm. um and I remember I mean I'm gonna talk about Doctor Who again (laughs) um (laughs) you know they brought Stephen Moffat you know is my favorite Doctor Who show and he brought in Bill Potts who was the first lesbian companion. Um, And it was, you know, all over the news at the time, like, oh my God, first gay, like, lesbian person in Doctor (laughs) Who, incredible. And obviously there were various people kind of up in arms about it. But for me to have grown up with that show, that's always been a bit queer and a bit camp, obviously. You know, you've had, like, characters all through it that have been, you know, queer. But to have one of the main characters be like me to be you know to be a girl who likes girls you know I got really emotional when she came into it and she just kind of started you know in our first episode she just casually starts talking about a girl that she likes and it's just so you know it's not played for laughs it's not you know massively hammed up it's just normal and there's something really like affecting as a queer person to see your own sexuality and your own identity just portrayed in the same way that you know um um, straight relationships and straight people and whatever are portrayed you know and I, I remember feeling that when I felt when I saw that on tv and that was very recently as well I mean I think she came in in 2017 you know oh, so wow. it, okay. it wasn't yeah. that long ago you know um I think that's also so important like so many people are like oh but they've had these characters and I, and I think a lot about how like exactly what you said just to have it be a normal part of that person's character and not something that is like that you're not sitting there waiting for like the punishment to come or you're waiting Uh, for the family to disown them or you're waiting for like you know what I mean that so often with with these characters there's that thing hanging over being like or we're going to draw attention to this difference that they have and you know fine they can have their little redemptive arc but like it it being forced into the story and just having it be like you said just uh, have it not be something that has to be 
have attention drawn to it is like yeah so powerful yeah I mean that's the thing because people will say you know we've had stories about we have plenty of stories about gay people trans people whatever right but yes so many of them are awfully like traumatic and horrible because I mean there is that part of of having a minority identity of being queer you know you there will be times when it's really hard and you will experience abuse and all of that. But you watch your media, you know, your films, your books, whatever, you you watch that as kind of a a utopian reality, you know, you watch that as for escapism. You don't want to be watching stories constantly where you have a gay character introduced and it's either played for laughs or they get killed off you know suddenly or they are horribly abused because of it and that happens so often you know we we have a lot Mm. of stories out there not I mean not compared to you know the the straight stories that are told but we do have a lot of stories but the amount that actually have happy endings is very very small you know and Mm. that's yeah that that's what I want to see more of definitely just you Mm. know people who I was talking to um an artist called Julian Gray for the um, Queer Creatives website lately. And he said, you know, he wants to see characters who just happen to be queer and that doesn't affect the storyline in any way, you know? And that mm-hmm. that sounds like such a simple thing, but it's so rare to have somebody mm-hmm. who, you know, is gay or, or bi or trans and it's not a point of contention. It's not something that, you know, they don't go everywhere and be abused for it or they don't get questioned about it. It it just is, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is such a rare thing. And that's something that I think we definitely need to see more of. And I know that that's what a lot of, you know, queer writers and queer storytellers are trying to do at the minute as well to kind of build that, that normal canon of queer stories where it's not, you know really traumatic to watch it yeah you know what that just made me think of as well it's actually for like older generation people that's so important for them as well because if you have a child who who comes out to you and all you've seen on tv is them being punished by the world Mm -hmm. you might have a you might have an adverse reaction because you are scared for them do you know what I mean like whereas if you've also just seen like exactly what you're talking about it just being a normal thing if you're maybe if you're older you know like I'm just saying like people who have more conservative parents or families mm-hmm. it's like I don't want to say like the Ellen effect kind of thing but just because I, I could imagine if that's all you've seen is you're like oh I've seen gay characters but something awful always happens yeah. to them and then your child comes out to you you I could understand you maybe having like not having the best reaction to your child because you're afraid for them so just yeah. having like you said just like normal joyful storytelling yeah. you know so it's all about normalizing it because you can't underestimate the power of the the things that you consume. You think that things are just films and you think that things are just books, but that shapes a massive, massive portion of what you believe in and what you grow up thinking. So yeah, as a parent, you might you might be scared for your kid because all you've seen on TV are gay kids being abused. Or as a gay kid, you might think you know, oh my God, I can't possibly come out because what happens when gay kids come out on TV or in a book, they get beat up, you know, they get abused all the time. Mm. And it's, there is a truth in that. Like you you do, you know, telling that part of the story is part of, you know, part of the the queer experience, but it's not the whole story. It's just a very small part of it. And there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of celebration to be had in finding your Mm. identity, you know, and being comfortable with it. And that, that's much I think that's a much more interesting story to tell at this point as well 
Oh, okay. Um, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. Like, I think it's just really fun to to go back to basics. And I just was just really wanted to hear from you about um, queer creatives. I think it's so exciting. Um, I will add all the links in the show notes. Um, I've got the, the, so you are at Queer Creatives UK and website is queercreatives.co.uk. Yeah, queercreatives.co.uk. Oh, yeah, thank you so much, Kathy, for the pod. Um, and cheers, everyone. Have a good week. I'm not going to put the tops and tails on these ones. Um, if you guys liked this format, um, these kind of bonus episodes, if you want to learn a bit more about, um, you know, normal, the, the, oh my God, Kathy, you <laughs> can't talk today. <laughs> the fundamentals of storytelling. <laughs> um, let me know. Uh, email and all that jazz will be in the show notes. Okay, bye. Do you want to say bye, Gary? Bye. <laughs> <laughs>